Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Hey guys, my name is Brian. I serve as one of the pastors here at Exodus, and I'm really looking forward to the day that we can gather back in this room. But until then, I'm grateful that we can gather around God's word today. Now, uh, take your Bible and turn to Habakkuk. That's between Nahum and Zephaniah. It's at the back of the Old Testament. If you start at Matthew and turn to the left, you'll get there. Uh, last week, we met Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a praying prophet. He's crying out to God in difficult times. Uh, the world is not what he would expect it to be, and he doesn't think God is aware or involved. And the, the journey of Habakkuk through the book is a journey of his growing uh, in his faith, growing in his understanding of who God is and how he is to relate to him. And we learn two things from the book of Habakkuk. First thing we learn is that Christian maturity is not the absence of questions, but the presence of trust. The second thing we learn is that though we cannot always understand God's plan, we can always trust God's heart. Now last week, Habakkuk was burdened. He brought his burden to the Lord. He's looking around going, God, are you aware? Are you concerned? Well, God answered him. This week, Habakkuk's burden is not that God's unaware or unconcerned. Habakkuk's burden is God's not doing what Habakkuk wants God to do. He has is, he is moved from, God, what are you doing, to God, why are you doing that? The problem this week is God is not doing what Habakkuk wants God to do, which again, feels very familiar. I mean, for me, when life gets hard, I can quickly move from God's not, God doesn't know what's going on to God doesn't know what he's doing. And that can get me down a path that is dangerous. Habakkuk shows us another way. So I'm going to read the passage today. We're going to start in verse 12 of chapter 1. And we'll read through chapter 2, verse 5. Then I'll pray and we'll jump into what God's word says. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he has never enough. 
He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now, like Habakkuk, praying. Uh, We come to you like Habakkuk, standing on his watch post, longing to hear from you, longing to see what your word would say. And Lord, we know that it's your desire to meet with us. It's your desire uh, for us to come to you. It's your desire to meet with us and share your word with us. So Lord, we come, we ask, we seek, we knock, we pray and ask that you would speak through your word. So Lord, would you do that? Holy Spirit, you know every heart listening to this right now. You know every need, you know every concern, you know every fear. So Holy Spirit, would you speak in ways I could never speak? And would you work in ways I could never orchestrate? Holy Spirit, would you work in our lives today as we listen to your word? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now we're going to see two things today. We're going to see first Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 1. And then we're going to see Habakkuk's path in chapter two, let's start with Habakkuk's prayer. Now remember, last week, his first prayer was, uh, he wondered if God knew what was going on. Today, he's going, in verse uh, 12 through 17, he's gonna wonder if God knows what he's doing. And in his prayer, God, uh, Habakkuk is gonna tell God that his plan is inconsistent with both his promises or his covenant and who he is or his character. Let's start with what God has promised or his covenant. Look at verse 12. Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Now notice in Habakkuk's prayer, he refers to God with the name Lord. That's all caps. That is God's covenant name. When God makes a promise, that's the name he signs to it. It's his covenant name. We heard this name first in the book of Exodus. When God tells Moses that he's going to deliver his people from slavery, Moses said, who should I tell them has sent me? God says this name. This is his covenant name. And we learn not only that God's going to save a people, and not only is he's going to enter into a covenant with them, we understand through the Old Testament and into the New, this covenant expands to tell us that there's going to be a king, and his kingdom shall never end. And that king's going to come from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah. And we see in Micah that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and in Isaiah that he's going to suffer for his people, and in Matthew we see that his name will be Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. And this covenant is going to unfold, this covenant that God has stamped his covenant name to is going to unfold, and Habakkuk is saying to this covenant God, God, if you do this, your covenant will die. If you release, if you release the Babylonians to be a judgment and a reproof to your people, they're not known for restraint. They're not known for mercy. God, your covenant people will die. This, Habakkuk is saying, this is inconsistent with your covenant. It's inconsistent with what you've promised. And then he tells them, God, this is also inconsistent with your character. This is inconsistent with who you are. Notice in verse 13, he says, you, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God, he's saying, why would you, why would you turn a blind eye to this? Why would you turn a blind eye to the Babylonians wiping out your people? And then he says, why would you allow this kind of suffering? In verse 15, he describes how effective and brutal 
the Babylonians were known to be. He uses two images in verse 15. He, he speaks of a hook. He says he brings all of them up with a hook and then a net. He drags them out with a net. Now, this hook imagery was well known in this part of the world. The Babylonians, when they defeated an enemy, they would lead the survivors around the country uh, with a hook in their lip lined up single file like fish to show that the Babylonians were superior to all their enemies. It was to strike fear in those who remained. And then this idea of a net, there were Babylonian stories of their deities sweeping across a nation with their net to defeat their enemies. It's almost like Habakkuk is saying to God, God, you're letting the false gods win. This is inconsistent with your character. Why would you let this happen? And then he points out that the Babylonians are living in luxury. In verse 16, he says, For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. So not only are they winning, they're winning big. And then Habakkuk's concerned this is going to go on forever in verse 17. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly, mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk is saying to God, God, these people are not known for their restraint. If you release them on your people, they're going to kill them out. And God, if your covenant people die, then your covenant promises die. And God, you're not the God that we thought you were. That's what Habakkuk is saying. So Habakkuk is utterly confused. From his perspective, what God is doing, God's plan is not consistent with his promise. God's plan is not consistent with his character. And so Habakkuk is saying to God, God, you're not the God you revealed yourself to be, or at least you're not the God I understood you to be. Now, for many of us, this is where we uh, walk away from God. Something happens in our life that we don't understand. Something happens in our life that's difficult. Something happens in our life that's hard. And we walk away from God. We say, I'm done. Now listen, if that's happened to you, I don't want to minimize your pain. I, I, I don't know the level of pain that you've walked through. I don't know the level of difficulty you've experienced. But what I do know is that a short-term answer to long-term pain is rarely the right choice. And sure, when you walked away from God, you may have found something to numb the pain. You might have found something to cause you to forget. But that short-term gain is never the answer to a long-term problem. Habakkuk shows us another way. Rather than walk away from God, Habakkuk waits for God. We see that in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. I'll look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait for God. I'm going to wait on his word. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Rather than walking away from God, Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait for God. I want to beg of you. I want to beg of you. If you find yourself in a time right now where you're doubting God's character or you're doubting God's promise, don't walk away from him. Don't walk away from him. Wait for him. That's the only path that's going to give you real hope. And notice, uh, God meets with him. After Habakkuk prays, it says in verse 2, and the Lord answered me. I love this. Every time Habakkuk prays, God is not put off. God doesn't send him away. God doesn't shame him. God answers him. And he gives him 
a path. Let's look at Habakkuk's path here in chapter 2. It includes three things. First thing Habakkuk's to do, he's to write down what God says. Look at verse 2. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. First thing Habakkuk's to do when he finds himself in this moment where he's doubting God's character and God's promise, he's to write down what God says. Now, Habakkuk is writing the Bible. You and I don't do that, okay? That job is done. But there are some helpful things about writing down what's going on in our minds and in our hearts when we're facing this kind of moment. When we're doubting God's character and when we're doubting God's promise, for us to write down, for us to get out what's going on in our heart, for us to write down kind of what's going on, it's not God's holy word, but it sometimes can be super helpful. And so first thing he's to do is to write it down. Second, he's to wait on God's timing. Look at verse three. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So when life is, when it's hard to believe God's character and God's promise, when it looks like God has forgotten you, Habakkuk, wait. God's timing, it will come to pass. The vision will happen. What God has promised will come to to pass, but you've got to wait, which is crazy hard. (laughs) I hate waiting. I hate it. I hate waiting. But the Bible tells us those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. And so Habakkuk is told, part of Habakkuk's path is to write down what God says. The second part is to wait on God's timing. Finally, he is to walk by faith. Look at verse four. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within, uh, it is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, this, this his, his soul here, is speaking of the Babylonians. It's taking that, that collective whole as an individual. And notice, uh, God gives kind of two paths to walk here. First, you have the path of the proud, and then the path of the righteous. Let's start with the path of the proud. It says, behold, his soul is puffed up. That phrase means proud. It means he's not relate, rightly related to God. He's not submitting to God. And, other, and, and, and actual, actually, um, he is trusting himself. He's trusting in his own power. He's worshiping false gods that have brought him luxury and ease. His soul is puffed up. He's proud. There's an inward reality here. He's proud. And that has outward consequences. Look at verse 5. It says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So that inward reality of being proud has some outward expression. First, he's deceived by what he has. That phrase at the beginning of verse 5, moreover, wine is a traitor. Wine was a symbol of celebration, luxury, wealth, and success. And it's saying here that 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 symbol is a traitor. It deceives you into trusting in what you have. 
Those who are proud, those who are puffed up think, wow, I've got all of this, and that's deceptive, God says. And then he says, the arrogant man is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. In other words, that proud, arrogant person is never satisfied. If he were to have everything in all the world at the end of verse 5, he would still not be satisfied. But that's a path. The path of the proud is a path you could take. It ends in destruction. The other path is the path of the righteous in verse 4. He says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, Righteous uh, here in Habakkuk and throughout the Bible does not mean morally superior. It doesn't mean you've obeyed enough rules to, to get this righteous badge. The righteousness here that he's talking about is a righteousness that can only be given as a gift. It's a righteousness you receive, not a righteousness you achieve. In Genesis, uh, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the righteousness that's being described here. These righteous ones, the ones who have been given the gift of righteousness, live by faith. So those who have trusted God and trusted his word live that way. They, they live the way they began. For many of us, we understand Christianity to be Jesus died for me, but the rest is up to me. That the way I entered into this walk with Jesus is different than the way I continue. That Jesus saved me, but I've got to do the rest. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says here, the righteous live by faith. We live trusting God's character. We live trusting God's word. And this is true for us on this side of the cross too. In fact, in Romans 1, Paul tells us this. In six, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So on this side of the cross, we trust God. We trust his character. We trust his promise. On this side of the cross, we trust God even when life makes it difficult to do so. We live by faith. So God presents Habakkuk with two ways to live, proud or the righteous. So the question for us today is this, which path will you take? Which path will you take? When, God, when, what, when what God seems to be doing in the world is confusing and difficult, when life isn't what you were hoping it to be, which path will you take? There are two pretty clear paths laid out here. First, you've got the Babylonians. They are proud. They're effective. They're powerful. They're successful. They have luxury. They have victory. They have riches. They have wealth. But they don't have God. They don't have God. They've got everything our world would tell us to look for, but they don't have him. And so they've got short-term gain that ends in long-term destruction. But you can choose that path. 
You can find something that makes you powerful. You can find something that makes you successful. You can find something that brings you all the riches and luxury your heart could ever desire. And for some of us, we think that's what being a Christian means. That God brings us all those things. That God becomes our path to success. That God becomes our path to power. That God becomes our path to luxury. And then when God doesn't give us what we thought he should give us, we're done. We're done. We're done with God. When God doesn't give us the short-term luxuries we wanted, we're done with him. We walk away. But God offers us another path. He invites us to the life of faith. That when life is hard, we trust his character. When life is hard, we trust his promises. And listen, Habakkuk's journey is not going to a place where he trusts God and gets all those things he wants. In fact, at the end of Habakkuk, we read this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now, this was an agrarian society. What he's saying is, if the economy tanks, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is what God calls Habakkuk to. This is what God calls us to. Because you see, what our souls really want are not the short-term luxuries that the Babylonians have. What our souls really want is a love that lasts for eternity. What our souls really want is to be close to God. And God offers that to us by faith in Jesus Christ. With all the things not going the way Habakkuk would hope, he says, I will not choose a short-term path. I will choose the long-term path of eternity. I will rejoice in the Lord. And the Lord calls us to this path today. And we don't have to look forward to a promised Messiah. We can look back to the real Messiah who came, who lived a perfect life of obedience to God, who died a death on the cross for our sin, who rose in our victory so that through faith in him, our sins can be forgiven. His love for us can be secure and our hope for eternity can be certain. The righteous live by faith. Which path will you take today? Which path will you take today? I woke up this morning thinking about a song. It's a very old, it's actually an old poem written in 1922 by Rhea Miller, but it was made popular by George Beverly Shea, who sang with Billy Graham during his evangelistic events. And the song is called, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And in the song, he says this, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Then the next verse, you know, the first verse I'm not really tempted by, the, the money and land and houses... 
I'm not tempted by that. But the second verse, he says this. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Listen, if you choose the path of the proud, you might get all the world affords you, but you won't have him. You won't have Jesus. But you take the path of the righteous, not, not a righteousness you achieve, but a righteousness you receive by grace, through faith, because of the gift of Jesus on the cross for you. If you choose this path, you might have short-term loss. You might face everything Habakkuk faced, the world not as you want, uh, everything going wrong, but you still get him. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords today. If we take the path of the righteous, we get Jesus, and that's enough. Let's take that path together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much that you are faithful, that your character is certain, that your promises are true. Thank you that when we trust you by faith, we get Jesus. We get to be close to you, though everything around us is breaking, though everything around us is going a direction we wouldn't choose. Yet we can rejoice in the Lord. We can take joy in the God of our salvation. Lord, would you make it so in our hearts and minds? Would you make it so in our lives? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.